Well, if you want to open up with me to James chapter 4, that's where I'll be reading with you this morning. It's also in your program, and the words will be up on the screen. As I mentioned earlier in the service, we're entering this new series here as we enter into February, and it's going to talk a lot about how do we find peace. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, I, I've always felt that the quest for peace is what leads us to many of our idols. If you just watched the video, you saw the little phrase, the options seem endless, and they do to us to find peace. Often, for example, people who have felt powerless, maybe in their youth, or maybe they feel that their culture or ethnicity in general has been left weak and powerless, well, then life becomes a quest for power and respect because that's what they feel will lead to peace in their heart. For some, the quest for peace will lead to possessions or a fat bank account because once I have possessions and a fat bank account, then I can kind of settle my heart. I have enough money to control my life. Whatever happens, I can deal with it because my checkbook will help me deal with it. For some, it's position. There's this inner compulsion that they've always felt like I can't have any peace down here on the bottom rung of the ladder. I need to get higher. I need to climb that ladder. Whether it's you're an entrepreneur, you're running your own business, you're in the corporate world, you, you're, you're aspiring to get up that ladder and you struggle, struggle, struggle because you think in your mind that idol of position is going to give you peace. One of the biggest ones is the one we're going to be addressing today. What can be, though a good thing in many ways, what can become an idol to us is planning. So I want to I ask you before I read this morning, how, how many of you, like me, I'm, I'm just going to confess right now, are planners? I love to plan. My plans have plans. I have contingency plans. You know what my favorite friend is? Google Calendar. And I have an app on my, on my computer called To Do, which contains an endless list of things that I aspire to get done one day. And I love nothing more than being at the end of my day and going, <laughs> look at that. How many did I check off today on my to-do list? And I love it because it's so efficient. Like whatever I don't get done, I don't have to relist on paper the next day. It just rolls over, and I can reprioritize, reprioritize because I'm a planner. Anybody want to confess along with me? I'm a planner. All right, here's what I'm gonna, here's what I'm gonna say. After two years of COVID, a lot of us during that time said, "Why bother? Why would I plan?" 
a bomb is just going to get dropped in the midst of my plans. If you have little children, you may have noticed that you have plans, so do they. And most of them involve being up between 12 and 4, keeping you awake, which then shatters all your plans for the next day because you're sleep deprived. And so some of you are not planners because you've shrugged your shoulders and you've said, never again will I make a plan because it's just going to shatter my hopes and dreams to have a plan that gets shattered. So those are the things that I want to talk about with you this morning is, does God want us to plan? Or is planning just a way, an idol really, for us to hold on to control and not let God, who is, after all, the king of the universe and also our heavenly father, not let him truly have control. Does deferring control mean I'm not going to make plans anymore? Or does deferring control mean I'll make plans, but I'll make sure I don't forget that God may have a plan too. So let's talk about that a little bit this morning on the basis of James chapter 4. I'm going to read it to you. It's a beautiful passage about this sub subject, and it leads with the title, Boasting About Tomorrow. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. So I want to share something about myself. On my desk, and we'll put a picture of this up, is this little stone. This stone is my prayer stone. But it's also just a simple reminder. I set it right down in front of my computer screen every day, and on it it says, be still. Just pause there. Be still. Be at peace. Be calm. Quiet yourself. Man, do I need that reminder someday? And how can I be still? Well, the very passage reminds me how I can be still. Be still and know that I am God. I love this little stone. So many times I've just prayed with this in my hands. So many times I've just glanced down from my computer screen and been reminded what a beautiful thing it is that I have the Lord in my life, you have the Lord in your life, that together we have this capacity to find peace, to be still, to quiet ourselves. Why? Because we do know that the Lord is God, and there's a corollary to that. You know what it is? If God is God and I am not. And that is the lead thought I want to take with you into today's message. God is God and I am not. 
I can be still and know that he is God. So here's our first question. I've already posed it for you, your first fill-ins. Plan or take it as it comes? Which is your default mode? And what we're going to talk about today is one of my favorite words. You've heard it many times, the word and. Many times in the Bible, we find that proper theology is not an either or. God is not a father or a son or a Holy Spirit. God is our father and the son and the Holy Spirit. And similarly here, plan or take it as it comes, the answer is yes. Plan. Take time, make your plans, fill out your Google Calendar, your Apple Calendar, write out by hand or on your computer or on your phone your to-do list. All of that is beautiful until the moment when, if your plans don't go exactly as you wrote them out, you or I begin to freak out. Or you or I begin to say, why did I even write a plan? Because, listen to what James says. Now listen you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Now that might at first seem to suggest we shouldn't even bother with plans. But did you know that James is the kid brother of Jesus? He, he watched his brother growing up. He watched his brother in his ministry. He was likely one of those brothers that found it hard to believe in Jesus at first and struggled with the concept that his big brother could be the Messiah, the Savior of the world. But through all of that, he got to see Jesus carry out a three-year ministry, maybe from a distance, and... He saw Jesus make plans. In fact, he saw Jesus announce plans like, it's time for me to go to Jerusalem to fulfill God's plan for me. And I plan to go as the Father has directed me and die on the cross to redeem people from all their sins. And he followed that plan to a T, which is why we have a Savior nowadays. Jesus didn't fret from making plans. Paul didn't fret. The apostle made many plans. One of his plans was to go to Rome. However, how many times did Paul have to resubmit that plan? Have you ever had that happen at work where you created a plan or maybe at home and all of a sudden something came out of a side road and emerged into the main road and you felt like your plans just got T-boned? That can happen. That happened to the Apostle Paul in his plan to go to Rome several times. And yet, he never let go of the plan. He just kept going, going, you know what? In God's world, God's plan is sometimes going to emerge into my plans, and we're going to have to merge those plans somehow. So, when planning, here's the first tip I have for you, all right? When planning, 
consider both the deliberate and the emergent. And what I mean by that is the deliberate is what you've written down on your Google planner, your Google calendar. It's, it's those things where you're saying, I'm going to be very deliberate about reaching this destination or getting this thing done, and I'm going to keep chipping away and working at this, and I'm not going to let anything deter me. And so you want to hold on to that. It's okay to make plans. If you read the book of Proverbs, you're going to see all kinds of recommendations about planning and calling planning a good thing. And remember, what's the book of Proverbs about? It's the book of God's wisdom. But the Bible would also say, as you hold on to your deliberate plans, also hold on to your God, who may also have a plan like your little baby does in the middle of the night. And that's going to emerge out of a, a, a side road and you're going to have to find a way to safely merge the two. Don't get discouraged when that happens. See that as an opportunity to say, God's plan really is far greater than mine. When did God send Paul to Rome finally? At the perfect time. Maybe not what Paul thought it should be, but it was the perfect time, God's time for him to get there. When Jesus came into the world to save you from your sins, the book of Galatians says, at just the right time, that's when Jesus came. And so I, I want to, first of all, teach you to find peace by understanding this is a both and, not an either or. You can plan. And wisdom would say it's good to plan, but always be willing to know God's also got a plan, and it may emerge. Uh, let's look at what Proverbs 19.21 says, because this is a beautiful picture in the book of Proverbs about that. Many are the plans in a person's heart. doesn't criticize that. It's actually a compliment to that, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's a beautiful passage to understand how to merge the two. Secondly, and you know this, right? Because God's got a plan, and because we have a plan, and we think we're going towards our plan, and we're thinking about the next step, and the next step after that, and the next step after that, life can often be full of surprises. When the Lord's plan emerges into, into the main road that we think we're on, sometimes we're like, what? And it shakes us. It shakes us to the core. Remember I said, think about this from four different aspects. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. Have any of you been going along just fine? Only to find out all of a sudden that you've been diagnosed with a, a serious illness? You didn't plan on that. But that's part of God's plan for you, and it, it surprises you at first until you recover a little bit and you have to learn how to deal with this new surprise. Paul was once so determined to go to a certain place in Asia that God had to send a, a man in a dream, a man from Macedonia, to shake Paul hard and say, 
you're not going to Asia. I know you keep trying to go to Asia this way and that way. Haven't you noticed that I'm blocking you? Why? Because the Macedonians need you right now. Have any of you encountered things like that in your life? You think you're going along fine, and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, where did this come from? Look at what James says. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. There's a fabulous author by the name of Jody Picoult. Anybody here read any of Jody Picoult's novels? Yeah. Have you noticed something about them? That the plot of every one of her novels is often you're going along fine and all of a sudden something weird and shocking happens and now you have to deal with it. Almost every one of her stories is about that. Here's what she says. You'll tell yourself anything you have to to pretend that you're still the one in control. Man, there's so much truth to that. We'll tell ourselves all these little white lies so that we can feel safe by believing I'm the one in control here. And you know what that is? That's just pride. And the devil using our pride and our arrogance to cause us to hold on tight to our plans and refuse to let go. So she's got, Jody Picoult's got this, this one book in particular. It's called Handle with Care. Uh, Stephen King writes about her. Uh, Picoult writes with unassuming brilliance. That's how, I mean, even Stephen King thinks she's great. I, I, I did a little plot summary just to show you because these plots are really real as far as the deliberate and the emergent and the surprises that can come into our lives. So read along with me. When Willow is born with severe osteogenesis imperfecta, her parents are devastated. She will suffer hundreds of broken bones as she grows, a lifetime of pain. Every expectant parent will tell you that they don't want a perfect baby, just a healthy one. Charlotte and Sean O'Keefe would have asked for a healthy baby too if they'd been given the choice. Instead, their lives are made up of sleepless nights, mounting bills, the pitying stares of luckier parents, and maybe worst of all, the what-ifs. What if their child had been born healthy? But it's all worth it because Willow is, funny as it seems, perfect. See, they're now beginning to see God's plan, right? Have you ever thought that about the flaws in your plans? I, I think about this every Sunday when I'm up here to preach. You guys might not know this unless it's obvious, but the message doesn't always go exactly <laughs> to my plan. I have to leave room a little bit for the Holy Spirit, for my own human weakness, for the flaws and foibles of presenting live. They used to say long ago, this is live TV, folks. We're not sure what's going to happen. I'm looking over here at Courtney and Phil. I'm guessing that every Sunday when you and the band are up here, 
you've got it all scripted out, planned very well, and for a good reason. Does it ever go perfectly according to plan? And that's how life is. Let's keep going. It's still perfect when it's flawed. She's smart as a whip, on her way to being as pretty as her mother, kind, brave, and for a five-year-old, an unexpectedly deep source of wisdom. Willow is willow in sickness and in health. Everything changes, though, after a series of events forces Charlotte and her husband to confront the most serious what-ifs of all. What if Charlotte had known earlier of Willow's illness? What if things could have been different? Do you ever ask yourselves questions like that when your plans don't unfold the way you thought they, they, they should? What if things could have been different? What if their beloved Willow had never been born? To do Willow justice, Charlotte must ask herself these questions and one more. What constitutes a valuable life? Emotionally riveting and profoundly moving, Handle with Care is an unforgettable novel about the fragility of life and the lengths we will go to protect it. Why you don't even know what will happen tomorrow, James says to you. Our plans are fragile. Our life is fragile. And so number two, approach life with humility. Be still. When your plans don't come to fruition, be still. When you get a shock or a surprise, be still and know that God is still God. Point number three. Whose will is life really about? Is your life about imposing your will on it? Man, I'll, I'll tell you, sometimes I, I read uh, military training things, and, and a lot of them kind of suggest we have to impose our will on the enemy. And sometimes when I see that, I chuckle a little bit because you know what the military also says? No plan of battle ever survives first contact with the enemy. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because now the enemy gets a vote into these beautiful plans that I've laid out. And so we have to understand that that's going to happen with us. But here's the hope. Here's the quest for peace in the midst of all of this. Life is not about my will. Not nearly as much as it is about God's will. Will you write that down? Life is about God's will, not mine. I think you know that. Because every Sunday when you come to church, you pray along with me or Pastor Dustin, your kingdom come. Anybody want to say these words with me? Your kingdom come, your will be done. You mean that? I mean, do you really mean that? In the midst of all the planning you've done, in the midst of not liking surprises very much, in the midst of wanting peace, and one of the ways that you can find peace is just to have a good plan. It's, it's almost as good as having a lot of money or having a high position. 
You may not have either of those, but doggone it, I've got Google Calendar. And then something comes in to smash that plan. Well, James says this. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. Do you say that? I think it's such a good reminder. God willing. If we can remind ourselves constantly, God willing, I will do this or that. If anyone then knows the good that he ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. You know what's interesting? I don't know which one you tend to think of when you pray the Lord's Prayer. Your will be done. But James actually, that's why I put both these passages here, suggests that we can think of it in two ways. Your will be done in the midst of that prayer is us surrendering and deferring control back to God and saying, look, I understand life's not about my will, so Lord, your will be done. I defer control to you. But James, take a look at that last passage, suggests it can also mean this. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. In other words, he's saying, you do know much about God's will. God gave you his commandments. God gave you the great commission. God gave you many things in the Holy Scriptures, which are really an entire set of 66 books written to tell you what God's will is. You know God's will to love you as his dear child, holy and perfect through Jesus in his sight. You know God's will to forgive you and to grace you day after day. You know God's will, as we just studied, to bring mercies new to you every morning. You know God's will. And, and what James is also saying, so when you pray the Lord's will, when you pray the Lord's prayer and say, your will be done, don't just think, I know surprises can come, so Lord, what you want to happen, let that happen. Also think, Man, I have my arms wrapped around through the Bible a lot of what God's will is. So, Lord, send your spirit to strengthen me and help me do the thing you told me to do in the Bible, to help me follow what I know about your will. You know, the apostles did this. Acts 4, 28 to, uh, 23 and 24, rather. They were constantly at the beginning of their ministry being threatened. They were thrown in prison. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. They'd just been released from jail. That was not part of their original plan. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. And what did they call him? Sovereign Lord. That's what I really want you to see. Are you calling God in your heart, in your mind? Hundreds of times in the Bible, that name for God is used. Sovereign Lord. And you know what it means, right? The Lord who is my king. The Lord who makes all the final decisions. 
The Lord who, as we read earlier, we may have our many plans, but his will will be done. His purpose will prevail. So here's what I want you to write down. Let Jesus be the sovereign Lord, the king of your life. And when you do that, it's amazing. Can I tell you that? When you just step back and say, Jesus, you be the king. You have the position, not me. You have the power, not me. You have all the possessions, not me. You know what I can do when I think those thoughts? I can be still and know that he is God. I can calm myself and quiet myself because I just say to myself, he's my sovereign Lord. He's my king. His plan, as we read in Jeremiah, is the best plan. Final point, life is meant for a focus on Jesus, not on myself. James, toward the end of this passage, talks about boasting and arrogance. And he's not talking in a complimentary way about boasting. Sometimes I watch sports nowadays and I'm like, oh. The touchdown dances, the in-your-face celebrations. And I, and I think to myself, does it have to be that way, making so much about yourself? Well, and then I step back from that and I realize, but Jeff, you might be quieter about it, but you often make it about yourself too. And so that's James' final point for us. As you boast in your arrogant as it is you boast in your arrogant schemes, all such boasting is evil. Why? Well, let, let's take a look at a C.S. Lewis quote, and you'll see why all such boasting is evil, because C.S. Lewis explains it better than I can. To know God is to know that our obedience is due to him. He's the king. You're the subject. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. That's why. As long as we cling to our pride and our arrogance and it has to be about us and our plans, we cannot know God. See how dangerous that is? In God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself, and by the way, C.S. Lewis doesn't say this, but his plans for you are immeasurably superior to the plans you've made for yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, where's boasting in that? You do not know God at all. That's why James says all such boasting is evil. Because what he's really saying is, this is the kind of evil, being full of yourself, that will take you away from God, being your king, your savior, and your friend. Write this down. Recognize that God is God, and I am not. There's no more important realization than that. God is God. His plans are good. 
My plans might be kind of good, but his plans are really good. And that's why I want to take you back to this. And that's why I've said this little phrase several times. I hope that you will go home with this. Let God be God. And remember that he's your Savior. You're not your Savior. Your plans, only his, are the ones that will save you for now and for eternity. So, be still and know that God is God. This will help you beyond belief in your quest for peace. Let's bow our heads. Dear Father in heaven, thank you so much for reminding us that we can hand back control to you. Lord, all of us by nature, I, I fear, and, and maybe even more so in today's world, we've all become control freaks. Lord, we repent of that here and now. And while, Lord, you can bless us through our plans, help us to remember, as you say in Jeremiah, that your plans are so much better. They give us hope and a future. Your plans are good. So help us, as we plan with the one hand, to defer control to you with the other and trust you to be the king of our lives. Help us to be still, Lord, in your spirit's power and know that you are God and we are not. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a moment and say the, the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.